0: One of the things that we talk about in our uh, baptism and membership classes is the fact that that baptism is more of a birth announcement than a graduation uh, announcement, and just so encouraging to just hear some of that story and that testimony from Liz, and especially as we look at the text today and this season of Advent where we celebrate uh, a birth announcement and the reality of this birth of of Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. And our uh, primary text today is uh, from these first seven verses of of Luke uh, chapter 2, and a story that for many of us is a well-known story, but one that I hope and pray again will become uh, new to us, that we would have new insights, that the Spirit of God would just open our eyes to see some unique things and whatever God would have uh, for us. And so let's let's read this text uh, together, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Well, again, this season, this time of year of Advent, and as we enter into the Christmas season, is a time to remember this simple story, to be reminded of what might seem to be a simple story, but one where the profoundness... And the depth and the deep implications of this story can so easily be lost with all the other things that go on. And sometimes even with just the familiarity of the story to some of us. It's also a time of year that we know probably only too well that we can find ourselves ragged and rushed and hurried and preparing for all of the things that have to be prepared for. And yet uh, Advent is a time where we are invited to pause, to reflect, And to learn to wait again. And we don't always like waiting. The theme of our Advent uh, series this year is entitled Strangers in a Foreign Land. And we want to look at at four characters, or some of them are actually groups of people. Uh, Looking, first of all, at, at Mary and also some of Joseph. So Mary and Joseph. Then looking at the shepherds. And who were these shepherds that were there also in this story? Looking at the wise men. And then lastly, looking at Jesus Christ himself and this baby and the implications of that in a few weeks uh, from now. So each one of these uh, people, each one of these groups of people have different but unique aspects of being strangers, of being foreigners, of being in a place that is different, of being displaced in one way or another. And we want to look at some of the implications of that. And so today, as I said, our focus is primarily on Mary and also Joseph, although I think Joseph is sort of always fades into the background. He doesn't get too much exposure in this story, but uh, Mary is front and center of of this story. And so as I was uh, thinking about speaking on this today, I thought, you know, it would be reasonable to have a woman uh, speak on Mary, probably more reasonable. Uh, But then I thought, given the title of our series, there is no greater stranger in a foreign land than a man talking about pregnancy or childbirth. Completely out of my element, no idea what I'm talking about, something that is extremely foreign, and so given the theme and what we're going on, I'm going to try some. Uh, Those of us who've had the privilege of walking alongside our wives uh, who have been pregnant, who have gone through delivery, uh, we recognize that it is incredibly humbling. It's awe inspiring, it's completely foreign. We have such a limited ability to understand exactly what is going on, and we have no idea what to do, typically. I've had the privilege of walking through this lostness four times, and it has been such a blessing. Uh, Our third child, uh, when she was born, uh, Hannah, her Lisa's water broke at 5.30 a.m. in the morning. Uh, You can't believe right now that I'm telling birthing stories, right? Um... We called a friend uh, who lived close by who was ready for this call. Uh, She came over right away and gave me a couple of towels, told me to get going. Uh, And I asked her, what are these towels for? And she says, this is your third child, man. You could be delivering this child on the way. We never drove so fast to MSA Hospital in Abbotsford on the Abbotsford Mission Highway, if you're familiar with that. And so her water broke at 5.30 and baby was born at 6.15. It was a very quick trip. Our fourth child... uh, was an interesting story for other reasons. Uh, I passed out on this one. No idea why. It wasn't even during the delivery. It was during the time when Lisa was actually getting an epidural in her back, and I was facing her, holding her hands, trying to comfort her, and I passed out. I could tell you more stories, but I won't. I will spare you and uh, my embarrassment as well. I only share some of these stories to just simply say that as guys, we very much are strangers uh, in a foreign land when it comes uh, to childbirth. And I want us to see in this story, as we reflect on this story of Mary and Joseph and some of the things that are part of this story, I want when all of us to also understand that there is a humanness to the story. And I think so often when we, we sort of glide over these stories, we don't often kind of drop down and really get inside the minds and emotions of these people as best we can to try to understand some of the humanness and the emotions and the different aspects that are also there inherent in the story. And I want us to do some of that today. There is pain in these stories. Uh, I can't imagine what Mary was going through or the emotions that she would have been going through or Joseph for that matter. Uh, During this time and some of the things that we see in the story when I think of of women even today who uh, Maybe haven't had children or maybe can't have children or who have lost children I can't imagine the emotions or the or the challenge or the difficulties of that But but that's all part of our humanity That's all part of the humanness that there is pain in our stories, but there is also great joy And what I want us to see also in this story today is that there is all of that, I'm sure, as well. And and sometimes I wonder about Mary and Joseph and what they were going through, and I wonder, what did they talk about? Like, even on that long journey, did they laugh at certain things? Were they having at least some fun, or was it all kind of grueling and just going through this in faithful obedience? I don't know exactly what the case would be. But I want to have a little bit of fun with the story as well today, too. So... Mary and Joseph, they had to go to Bethlehem, it says. They go to Bethlehem, they're connected to David's side of the family. It says that he was of the line of David, and so they had to go now to his kind of family lineage lineage and his kind of hometown, in a sense, uh, for this incredible birth. And it just struck me this week, I thought, you know, here is one of the greatest miracles that is often overlooked in this story. Here we have historical documented account of a couple on their first Christmas going home to his family. You'll catch on in a minute. Okay? I'm willing to bet that the next five Christmases in a row, they went to Mary's household. Okay? Now, some of you don't get the significance, but I'll tell you, mother-in-laws and young marrieds know exactly what I'm talking about. So it says little about the trip, but it says that here's this delivery that or doesn't say much about the delivery at all, but it says that they traveled from Bethlehem to Nazareth from Bethlehem to Nazareth and says that Joseph took Mary his fiance with him and that she was obviously pregnant. And I paused there and again in my strange mind I thought that's an interesting comment of how it comes out in this translation. Obviously pregnant. My rule of thumb is that you never ask. It's never obvious. Right? I mean, you always let a woman tell you that she is pregnant. I mean, I have had some who are out to hear and they will say, "Yes, Bruce, I'm pregnant, we're due in like three weeks. And I'll go, really, you're pregnant? I had no idea. (laughs) Guys, it's just safer that way, okay? So she's obviously pregnant, so very far on in this delivery. And then it says that they go 80 miles. Well, they go from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is about 80 miles. Now think about that for a minute. I don't know how far you have traveled in kind of one stint by walking, but 80 miles is an awful long way. And so here we have this young couple. She is obviously pregnant and they start this journey because of this incredible adventure that they have been invited into by God. I can't imagine all that was going on in their hearts and in their minds and as they walked this journey and as they thought about what's going to happen. What is God up to? What is going to be part of this? And here's one thing that I can say about Mary. As I have uh, watched my wife Lisa up close when it comes to these kinds of things, as I have watched other women from a distance when it comes to pregnancy and delivery, I can say that it gives absolutely huge, huge respect for those who go through that. And the challenges and the complications and the pain and the discomfort and all the things that are endured in that. And I can say the same thing of Mary huge respect of here is this young girl going through conditions that I cannot imagine of what she went through you know I understand and and know that oftentimes the catholic church gets a bad rap for having too much focus on Mary understandably so but sometimes I think in our overreaction we go the other way and we absolutely give no focus to Mary on some of the realities of this remarkable woman and that's what we want to do here today and so again going back to verse six and seven we don't get a whole lot about the delivery. We just get these few stark words as the author Luke records it. And he says, And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. You know, I know that Luke, as the author of this gospel text, as he records this, inspired by the word of God, or by the spirit of God, as he uh, records this account. Um, he wrote all that we needed to know, but he gives this very stark account. And I just can't help again but think, if this was written by a woman, I think there would be a few more details included. But he gives us all that we need to know, and it's just this simple little account of how this child was born, and she gave birth, and it was a son, wrapped him up in these strips of cloth, and put him in a manger. Interesting story. Seems like a simple story. But there's so much going on behind the scenes in this story. There's so much that is happening here that even at first glance or first read, you don't really understand of all of history that is coming together in so many ways. Prophetic words that have been spoken about centuries and centuries before. And in the broadest picture of this story of a God who loved the world so much, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who would come and who would be born as a human, and who would live and who would minister and who would be crucified on a cross and who would die, so that whoever might believe in him might have eternal life, be reconciled to God and brought into right relationship with God. This is the story of the incarnation, of God himself taking on flesh. But what's incredible about this great, wonderful, amazing cosmic story of how is how God invites in and uses and entrusts the implications of a story such as this, to frail, fallen, and such simple people. And we see that here in this story. None greater than Mary, this young girl, pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to just flip back, maybe it's one page in your Bible, but in Luke chapter 1, and just to read a couple of Uh, verses there that also give us some background uh, to this story. When the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells Mary exactly what is going to happen, and she starts to ask a few questions, but so quickly moves to obedience. So the angel has been telling Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 29, and confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And the angel says this, "'Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus.'" and he will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of the lord god will give him the throne of his ancestor david and he will reign over israel forever and his kingdom will never end but mary asked the angel but but how can this happen i'm a virgin and the angel replied the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and so the baby will be born so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of god And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So here we have this angel who encounters Mary, and not only encourages her and helps her to see the bigger picture of what God is calling her to, but also says that her cousin or her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant, and Elizabeth And her husband, Zechariah, were very uh, much on in their years. They were older. Elizabeth had been barren all of her life. And now there was this miracle because Gabriel had also earlier gone to Elizabeth and said that you will have also a son. And this would be John the Baptist. This will be the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And so Elizabeth and Zechariah are celebrating because they have also been brought into this story. But think just for a minute the different responses that people in that region where they lived, that people would have had to these birth announcements or these pregnancy announcements. I would imagine for, the, for Elizabeth, it would have been celebration. It would have been just praising God because people would say, you know what, she was a woman whose womb was barren. She wasn't able to have children. And now in her old age, God has given her favor and she has become pregnant and she can have a child. But yet for Mary it would probably be a very different initial response, wouldn't it? I mean, here is Mary engaged to Joseph, but they're not married. And now she's pregnant. And all of the talking that would be going on and the rumors that would be swirling and the shame that she would probably feel. And if you go back into the Matthew account, you see how Joseph wanted to make things right. And he said that he would break off the engagement, do whatever it takes to regain whatever kind of... uh, you know, reputation she had lost. And the angel says, no, 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 no. This is part of God's plan. But again, think for a minute about the humanness of this story. About the reality of these individuals and these people and what they would have been experiencing and the contrasting responses to Elizabeth and also to Mary. It was amazing that Mary wasn't executed by stoning, which is what they would commonly do in a situation like that. But for the grace of God. Typically in a Jewish betrothal, there are two parts to it. First of all, there is an engagement contract that happens. There's a contract with a bridal exchange, a a monetary gift of some sort. And then the second part is about a year later, there is a wedding. And so it's in this in-between time that we find Mary and Joseph. It's in this in-between time that they get this news that she is pregnant and going to have this child who will be the Messiah. And Luke doesn't say exactly how old this Mary is, but typically in this age when people would go to become engaged and be married, they could be as young as 12 or 13 years old. A very common age at that time. So obviously a very young teenage girl who has been given this call from God, this huge blessing, but this incredible responsibility to now go through this birth, to go through all of that she would experience as she is in this Galilean village with this news and now has to not only do that, but travel a distant place to a foreign place to give birth away from her family, away from her security, away from her familiar surroundings, fulfilling the hopes and dreams of so many people, fulfilling the prophetic words that are found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where the prophet Isaiah points ahead to this day so many years later and says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Mary was really the first person who was to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the cost. And so oftentimes when we encounter Jesus in one way or another oftentimes we we might even in our mind we wrestle with conditions and we say okay well I'll I'll give a portion of my life to you or I'll submit this area of my life to you but but this area over here you know this is mine this is this is too personal too painful too something whatever and so we sort of compartmentalize or we do uh, give some of us to Jesus but only in part and we don't let Jesus fully in And yet here is Mary, this young teenage girl, going through all of the emotions that we can only imagine that she is going through, and she accepts him on his own terms. And in verse 138 of of Luke, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me become true. That's her response to the angel. She says, you know what, I'm a willing servant. May everything that you say come true. I am fully available, fully usable by God. And it's this open handedness that Mary comes to respond to this angel and respond to this story that is so incredible. She brings nothing on her resume. The only thing that she brings is willingness and availability. She has no training, no experience, no preparation. And yet, the character of God is revealed in this story because God shows himself as a God who keeps his promises. The promise given to Isaiah way back there, centuries before, now coming to fulfillment in this time. And a God who fulfills his promises to his people. But the character of Mary is also revealed. Because here is a person who is filled with faith and is available. And says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me become true. In other words, I am yours. Use me in whatever way that you want to use me. It's interesting how Mary chooses to praise God for the blessing of this gift and not curse him because of the cost. Because there is a very significant cost for her in all kinds of ways, some of which we can imagine and many of which I don't think we can. If you look further in chapter 1 of Luke and you read. In verse 46 to 45, and we won't take time to do so today, but, but Mary's song of praise, as she goes into this praise of God, of who he is, and of declaring God's faithfulness, she declares the character of God. Says, this is the God that I trust. This is the God that can be trusted. And she sees his goodness, even in the challenge of this calling. You know, so often the work of God has two edges to it. There's great joy, and there's great pain. And Mary just seemed to embrace them both and just sort of draw them in and realize that God had something really incredible in store for her. And there's that well-known line in that song that we often sing at Christmas time: "Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, where it says, And the hopes and fears of all the years, or the hopes and fears of all the world, do rest in thee tonight. On Jesus, her son, that she gave birth to in a manger. It's an amazing story. She understood some of the implications. She didn't even understand all of them at this time. But she walked in faith. You know, God loves the humble in spirit. God modeled this in his character as he came as a humble king that we're going to talk about in a few weeks from now. And we often look for the great things of God in, and have a desire maybe to be used in great ways. And yet God shows in this story that he shows his greatness in working with anyone in any setting who is just simply willing to be used. Are we willing to be used? Are we similar to Mary where we just simply say, I'm the Lord's servant, use me. In whatever humble ways, in whatever painful ways, in whatever big ways, in whatever small ways, just simply to be used by God. I think that there is great value for all of us in experiencing and understanding maybe a little bit more depth what it means to be a stranger in a foreign land what it means to be in a place that is out of our comfort zone where we are in a place that is unfamiliar where things seem to be impossible and those can be places that happen to us when we stay physically put right here we don't have to go anywhere to find ourselves in those kinds of places Or sometimes we do travel afar and we find ourselves in those places as well. But there is something powerful and helpful and instructive to us to understand what it means and what it feels like to be a stranger in a foreign land where all that's required is a willingness and faith and obedience. Oftentimes, in fact, I think every time you talk to somebody who's been on a short-term missions trip and you hear stories like that, And many of you have experienced that where you've gone on a short-term missions trip and you've gone to a a foreign place, a strange place where customs are different, language is different, food is different, everything is different. You don't know how to operate in that setting and you feel so vulnerable. You feel so out of your element and yet there is something so powerful in that because it's in those places that we so often turn to God and he can use us. And there's a dependency that comes in those moments that doesn't come in other times when we are comfortable and familiar, and everything is, we're used to what is going on. And so I think for all of us, part of the challenge of this story is how do we intentionally take ourselves to places where we are not quite as comfortable, not quite as familiar, needing to rely on God just a little bit more, that dependence where we have no idea what to do. And maybe you find yourself in that kind of place today. Maybe you find yourself in a season of life like that. You need to be encouraged and you need to know that God is a God who is faithful. And in fact, all God requires of you in those moments is just an open-handedness and just to say, I am the Lord's servant. Use me in whatever way. And again, so often it comes with these two edges of there is the pain and there is also joy. And we so often, we want, well, just the one. We don't really want the other. And yet God so often speaks to us and uses us and teaches us through both, both the pain and the joy. And it's in those places when we find ourselves in a foreign place in one way or another that we need to hear again the command that so many of these characters in this story heard. And this is the command don't be afraid. The angel Gabriel said it don't be afraid, do not fear. And we've talked about this truth and this fact that, that this is the number one commandment that comes through in Scripture over and over again do not fear, don't be afraid. And we see that in this story in in Luke 1, 13 to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who the angel Gabriel says, you know what, don't be afraid, God has heard your prayer. In 1 verse 30 where it's said of Mary who also hears this message, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. As we'll see in the story of the shepherds in Luke 2, verse 10, they were absolutely terrified and the angel saying to them, don't be afraid. We bring you good news of great joy for all people. We need to understand and grab onto this truth that humanity has nothing to fear when God is moving in grace. Tim Gettert is an author and a Bible scholar who has written a number of books. And one book that I enjoy reading from his from time to time is called Double Take. And he takes look at a new look at different passages, sometimes passages that we have become, again, maybe too familiar with, and looks at them in new ways and going deeper into the cultural context and exegeting the words that are there to understand more fully and saying, you know what, maybe we need to take another look at this text. He does that with our text today of of Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And he talks about the fact that so often we kind of fill things in and we add in some assumptions to the story that actually aren't there. We even have the idea that there were three wise men because there were three gifts that come, so there must have been three wise men. And yet it never says that there were three wise men in any of the gospel accounts, but we sort of make assumptions We come to this story and we assume that there was no room at the inn, and that there was this kind of this uh, inn that was there, and yet the word that is used there and translated there is the word kataluma, which means actually guest room. And the only other two places in the Gospels that that word kataluma is used is when the account is written of Jesus and his disciples in the upper room having the Last Supper, and it's the same word that is used there, as this upper room, this guest room. And oftentimes in these early Palestinian homes, they would have an upper room or a guest room on the roof of the house or in the upper level of the house and the family would live in the lower level. But the lower level would also have two different sub-levels where there'd be a, a couple of feet down from the main living area of the family would be a, a level where actually the animals would often stay, right there in the house. Not a separate stable. And if you read the account, it actually doesn't talk about a separate building outside stable it talks about the baby being born in a manger but tim getter talks about in those days the manger was often right there in the living room just at a certain height uh, at the, on the floor but a couple of feet down where an animal would stand and be able to eat out of the manger right there in that context in the center of the home and so he says when you think of it that way and if that is actually what is happening here we have jesus and mary and joseph invited into the house of this family whoever they are who obviously are practicing this gift of hospitality because the guest room is already full in the upper level. And now they are having this baby born in this manger. Now Mary and Joseph stay there for quite some time because you continue to read in the gospel account how the wise men come sometime, quite some time later. It changes in some ways how we think about this story and I think adds in some unique aspects that are encouraging for us and also challenging us. This is a seemingly simple story with so much to offer us and so many challenges for us. That amidst this great cosmic story that there is an invitation to each one of us to know the great things of God take place as humble, willing servants say, I'm here, I'm willing, use me. And all God asks of us is a willingness and an availability and he takes care of the rest. And also that we are invited to enter into those foreign places, those strange places where we feel out of our depth, where God uh, requires a dependence on us, where we can see his power and his faithfulness at work, unlike any other times. And I think a story that also challenges us during this Advent season of this idea of hospitality, of how do we welcome the stranger? What does that look like? And how do we welcome Jesus right into the very lives of, and the places that we live and work and breathe, and all of the activities of this season? How do we invite Jesus into the midst of all of that? May God teach us how to be strangers in a foreign land and to learn all that God has for us during this Advent season. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for the world that you sent your one and only Son, Jesus. And Lord, we are just humbled by the humility that you have as a humble king to come in such a way as we read in this account. And Lord, we thank you for those who have been found faithful that we also read about in the pages of Scripture, these real people who encounter you in supernatural ways and yet are willing and available to be used by you. And God, I pray that we would be those kinds of people. I pray that we would see your love for the world and your love for us, and that we would receive that, but also that we would extend that to others. God, that we would be people willing to step out of our comfort zones, out of our familiar places, in order to go to unfamiliar places, to be a welcomer, to receive you, to receive others, and to see how you want to use us in these different contexts. So Lord, we thank you for the power and the truth of this gospel story. I pray that during this season you would help us to see more and more of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.